Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The time of decision-making. This week, would we be surprised if the government, will they legislate these workers back to work? Will they sign this deal? Will they come up with a deal? Whatever they do, it matters. It really, really matters because it is a political decision and an economic decision. It's also, as we discussed yesterday, a most modern decision because this is a big test of the might of the worker. These are government workers. So they have a, you know, a little bit more play because the government, as we know, they don't have to fiddle with the budget to make it work as much as the private industry. Lots of fascinating stuff being written on this. And I know we we were getting some of the information yesterday, but it really is when we get down to public and private sector. And we talk a lot about tribes and there is a tribe there, isn't there? And there, and it is now as we examine how our ec- economy and employment is changing, one that separates people. Do you have a pension? And many Canadians do not. That has gone the way of the dodo bird. People in the public sector do, and now they want more. Joining me is Tasha Kearton, principal at Navigator, political analyst, author of The Right Path, and Substacker Extraordinaire. Tasha, happy Sunday. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks, Arlene. Thank you so much. All right. What kind of a week, you know, in pressure do you think this strike is putting on a liberal government that has been on its back heel over and over looking at some polling? And it's not been a good time for the liberals. Every move they make matters in a really intensified way. What danger areas do you see here with this strike? Well, I see a danger here in the sense that the NDP is very, very clearly supportive of um, the uh, of the strikers and saying that we, you know, if we get a situation of back-to-work legislation, they will not support the government. Now, the conservatives would support them probably in such a situation unless they think it's advantageous for the liberals to fall. So it would, you know, it, it sets them up for a situation where they might not have the confidence of the House. Um, that said, I don't think either the NDP or the liberals won election right now. So this could be posturing. <laughs> this could be a lot of things, but it's certainly makes things complicated for the Liberals because they have to maintain that supply and confidence agreement with the NDP. They do. And it's a test of that as well. I mean, it's a very, very tense time. But as you say, do they really want to go to the polls? You know, whatever happens here, it's big. It's going to go in the resume of the liberals and Canadians are watching. And they're also watching in a new way. Everybody, we keep hearing about them, you know, the new power of the worker. Look at the healthcare workers and how they feel. So whatever is decided here is also going to send a message about what frame of mind the liberals are in. And there's been criticism that Justin Trudeau, Christian Freeland, and their their economic policies right now are not feeling the pain of Canadians. Yeah, there's definitely that sense, too. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the liberals are, are being accused of ignoring 
what the average Canadian is going through. Now, their budget definitely tried to address that. That was their sort of top of mind. Um, but you've got, you know, you've got some of the strikers who are asking for cost of, or rather cost of living or wage increases that are far beyond what the average Canadian would get. Uh, CRA employees are asking basically for uh, a third more over, I think it is three years. So that's something that, you know, if the government were to grant them that in, in negotiations, I think Canadians would really cry foul. Do you think they're asking when you look at those numbers? What do you think Canadians are thinking about that figure, well, and how are they going to compare it? There's a lot less sympathy, right, than there would be um, for people, especially it's also CRA employees. People are, I get the intense that you know their jobs may be busy at certain times of year, but they're certainly not put in danger. They're not onerous. They're not what a lot of people on frontline jobs mm-hmm. face every day. So, in terms of you know, public sector already doesn't have a ton of sympathy. I would say for many Canadians because people have pensions and their benefits to working for the government. Many people don't have, but um, you know, just the number alone, I think, makes a lot of people take a pause and go, "What?" <laughs> I know. I, I want to. I was looking forward to talking to you as well. Is hungover from last week and is still there this week, and there's more. Is uh, the CBC conversation? I called the show mm-hmm. a rational conversation. I would like one. I've always wanted one to talk about the future of the CBC. It got kind of, in my opinion, kind of childish in the political venue in the last little while. But do you sense that's where we're heading, Tasha? Well, I think that the CBC has to be you know, the subject of a major rethink. And it's become this sort of toxic football in the last week. Um, yeah. Toxic because it was all over Twitter and Elon Musk was the, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the, <laughs> how should I say, he was very sarcastic in labeling it, you know, 69% government funding. There was a lot, I mean, there was a lot of, I would say, posturing around the issue to get clicks and tweets and likes and interest and that sort of thing. And I think that politicians jumped right into it and fed into that because it was in their interest. I mean, Pierre Polyev has been really hot on the issue of getting rid of the CBC um, since the leadership and probably before that, whereas Justin Trudeau was using this as an occasion to say, well, the conservatives want to just tear down institutions, and they are, you know, that's, that's their fault, and, and it's something that we shouldn't stand for, whether it's the CBC or other institutions in Canadian society. So they're both posturing, they're both using it, and most Canadians, I think, are just saying, well, you know what, Let's just, why can't we just have a rational conversation about the future of the CBC in a multi-channel universe where it doesn't arguably have the same relevance that it did even five years ago. I, I know there's a, a new poll out that tells us how, how the demographics are thinking about it. It's really surprising, isn't it? It is to me. 55% of Canadians under 30 would shut down the CBC. They want to save the cash. They yep. think it's government propaganda. That wasn't always so. I can think of, and I know you can too, I'm sure, when you were an even younger conservative having this battle with a demographic that was just tied to the CBC. Right. And I think that is reflective of how people are watching and consuming television now and sort of the sense that people have a sense that, you know, you can't trust what you see on television or on media. And they're looking to channels and and venues and forums where they think they have a higher trust level. Um, That could be, for some people, independent media. But it's also, I think, the sense that you've got you know, uh, the CBC, because it does receive most of this money from the government, the spillover effect of people not trusting government and then not trusting the CBC by ricochet. So it's a whole cascade of things that put the CBC on the real front lines of this debate. I mean, the anger at the media or not trusting the media itself has been an issue, but this is even more so. 
It is. I mean, you've had a lot of experience there. What's your sense? I mean, you've been an analyst there. And, and the conservatives kind of leaving Radio Canada out of this, too. I mean, it's pure bull politics here. Well, I think that, yeah, Radio Canada, that is interestingly not part of the conversation. And that's because Pierre Polyev knows, and Justin Trudeau as well, that it is a very different animal. Uh, Radio Canada serves the French public in Quebec, which has fewer channels, fewer options, and has a different type of history. And I think that, you know, that's why you haven't, you know, it's all been focused on English, English radio, um, I mean, English Radio Canada, English English CBC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, yes, there's the other piece of the fact that government funding implies in many people's minds government control, which is inaccurate, to be honest. I have worked there. It's not government control day to day. It's the government has a mandate for the CBC different than for private broadcasters. Their mandate is to reflect Canada, its diversity, speak to, you know, so-called underserved communities, points of view you wouldn't hear about, things that aren't commercial. And as a result, those are the voices you hear on CBC. And some people say, well, mm-hmm. you know, I may, that's maybe not what I want to listen to, or maybe that's not reflective of my region, my area, why yeah. it's reflecting me. Is it at a crossroads, just cutting to the chase? I mean, I, it, CBC conversations have happened, but we had Elon Musk weighing in. You've got the, uh, Pierre Polyev pointing the finger and going for the jabs. We have this new poll that says the demographic that used to be hugging the CBC is now not, and they are mm-hmm. willing to shut it down to save money. Are we in a new place? How are you reading the situation? Well, I think we are. I mean, I think it's been building for years. And, the you know, the, the CBC has always had the sense of we've got to revise our mandate. How many times have we heard that in our lifetime? Mm-hmm. Let's reexamine yeah. the mandate of the CBC. Yeah. Um, I Snore. think so it, it is, it's at a tipping point now because one party is specifically calling for it to be defunded. I think that's the political tipping point. You never really saw that before. People were disgruntled, but they didn't go that far. So that's what's put it on the political radar. I think, though, that it does demand a rethink because, you know, the, the amount of money involved over a billion dollars a year is significant. Um, I think that we have reached a point which the polling shows that younger people in particular have little attachment. They don't see the value. They they would move it into the private space or, or to stop funding it because their way of consuming television and, and broadcast has changed. And we just have more choice and more ways of representing those views. The mandate of the CBC is to represent unrepresented viewpoints in, in uncommercial pieces. But the long tail of television and of broadcast now shows you you can find those niche audiences with private broadcasts. There's lots of them. So the relevance of CBC, I think, as a big institution has to be questioned. Big week for media. Media still a hangover after the Dominion voting settlement. And you see in the Globe and Mail a big loud opinion piece from the CEO at Canadian of Dominion Voting. I also noticed a, um, an opinion piece also in the New York Times on the same day yesterday. Tasha, I mean, it's about the telling of lies, the truth. That was the headline yesterday mm-hmm. in the piece in The Globe. The truth still matters, considering we're changing our view of media. We're getting seeing a political pressure in Ottawa where this is being used as an issue. And then we have the streaming bill kicking in, kicks in yeah. This week, doesn't it, Tasha? So it's a it's a, a topic that is just electric right now. Are you feeling good about it? Or I mean, you were involved in the conservative leadership race, and all those things came up. Um, what conservatives stand for? Are you feeling 
are you feeling fine about the media right now? And if not, why? Um, do I feel fine? It's, it's, you know, I haven't felt nearly that fine for a while, only because the media, I, I guess I grew up in that I knew and you as well, that landscape has changed a lot. And you, so you can see the good and the bad. I mean, the good is choice. The good is uh, an evolution to where you have more voices represented and more ways also of communicating online. People can access information. They can access media a lot faster and when it suits them as opposed to having to wait for your six o'clock news. The flip side, of course, is that atmosphere is hard to monetize. And the result is a dumbing down, um, a lack of controls in the sense of, you know, copy editors for papers, um, Mm -hmm. broadcasting, making sure that, you know, you have you have videographers and you have people who are able to, to capture things as opposed to doing things like, you know, a multi multi-use person trying to cheap out and getting one person doing everything, which means that when you're shooting a piece, you're doing something, you're, you're running your resources really thin and the chances of making a mistake are higher. And the, the demand for scoops and this kind of thing becomes that much more intensive because you've got to get eyeballs on screen. All these things, all these financial pressures mean that the quality goes down. And that's a problem when the mission really is to find the truth and hold people to account. What about bias, though? I mean, the Dominion Mm. voting, of course, bias. You and I have been talking about the CBC, and that's part of the charge. If they're taking government money, is there bias? We have the streaming bill. People are wondering, is there going to be more government control? Control bias all coming out. And then we have people learning more, and then we have misinformation and disinformation. So changing minds. I mean, for me, it's an incredible time. And sometimes I'm thrilled. Sometimes I'm not, and I'm worried. Yeah, bias has been an issue as old as time. I mean, we, you know, you look at newspapers that were owned and still are owned by wealthy families. And so the argument is, oh, well, their point of view is put forward through the paper. Um, papers have always had, and news organizations as well, a particular slant. Um, it's nothing new. But I think the bias piece now is because it's more intensive because we've had such polarization happening in our politics. So really, the accusations media becomes used by political parties. It's not just private interests and, you know, people who may own a paper. It's, it's, it's out and out parties, politicians using media or abusing media for their own purposes. So media has become politicized like never before. And that is a problem because those competing agendas have different visions of what the truth is. And if that trickles down to the press, then you can't trust the press. That's the problem. And if people lose trust in media, then where do they get their information and that's where you become open to propaganda, to manipulation. Social media is, you know, a rabbit warren. It takes you to all these places that algorithms where you just fed the same stuff over and over. You don't even know where it's coming from. That is the problem is that people end up in little silos of disinformation and they're really easy to manipulate. And that is very scary. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.